So at Fifth Avenue, First Press is known as the church that stole Charlene from us. Um, but that's not the case for me. The first time I heard uh, about you all I was actually a freshman in college. And I met a new friend named Wes. And I, he found out I was Presbyterian. And he goes, oh, my brother goes to Cal. He goes to a Presbyterian church in Berkeley. And that was the first time I had ever heard of you all. Um, and then when I started dating April, uh, April said, oh, my sister is an elder at First Press Berkeley. I'm like, oh, there are good things happening at that church. And it is a privilege to be here with you all today. Um, and Charlene, thank you so much for the offer. It's, it's, it's really good to hang out with you again and, and to be in this space. Uh, will you please pray with me? Holy Spirit, may you speak to our hearts, to our minds. May you be in this room. I pray all this in your name. Amen. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and there be no divisions among you, but that you be knit together in the same mind and the same purpose. For it's been made clear to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. And there are, there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is each of you say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except for Christus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, it is no secret that division exists. It's everywhere, from sports, theology, politics, and maybe if you remember this one, whether a dress is blue or gold. If you don't know what I'm talking about, after the sermon, you can Google, is it a blue dress or a gold dress? Enjoy the debate. But when division exists, we pick our leaders of whom we will follow. And we often see this in the church as well. We have people who say, I'm a conservative Christian and I follow Franklin Graham, or I'm a liberal Christian and I follow Nadia Bolz Weber, or I'm a fun Christian and I follow Reverend Charlene Han Powell. <laughs> the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about division and picking leaders to follow. And if the passage, we look at the passage we just read, it's pretty straightforward. At the root of the passage, Paul says we cannot be divided and say I follow Graham or both Weber or CHP, but as Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear. Yet that is easier said than done because following Christ looks different for different people. And we argue and are divided about what following Christ looks like. Just two weeks ago, I was in Lake Tahoe and a random stranger tried to argue with me about what following Jesus looked like. And it was eight in the morning and I had not had my coffee. And I literally said, homie, it, I have not had my coffee. I cannot do this. But he continued to engage and we both agreed on Jesus. And without the grace that comes from caffeine, we just simply couldn't agree on what that looked like in practice. There was division. Now, the year after I graduated college, I was a youth pastor at my home church in Southern California. 
And I took a few of my youth group students up to, to the university because they were interested in attending Azusa Pacific University. And some of them actually did end up going there. You would think they would have given me some commission, but instead I have a lot of student loans instead, but that's neither here nor there. But my undergrad is a Christian liberal arts university, and they require students to attend three chapel services a week. So I decided to take my students on a day that it, Shane Claiborne was going to speak. Now, I really like Shane. He's an activist, an author, a dynamic speaker. It was the perfect one to bring my students to. But the day he spoke happened to be Veterans Day. Now, Shane is openly a pacifist. He's critical of war and critical about how this country has used the military. So because of that, the week leading up to the chapel, there was a war of words around the campus. The ROTC program thought the chapel services was bringing him on purpose to minimize Veterans Day. And then the more liberal side of students began voicing their opinion as well. And before you knew it, the campus was completely divided. Now, I had graduated the year before, but hearing from my friends, they were telling me how hostile the school felt that week. And I did look at the Facebook debates, and it was clear that they were divided. So I attended chapel that day with some of my students, and some people were saying that they were going to boycott the chapel. But instead, the ROTC showed up in full force and in their uniforms, and they all sat together. It was clear that they were there. The, ca the campus pastor introduces Shane, and we're all wondering, what is Shane going to say? What is he going to do? And before he even gets started, he has a huge grin on his face, and he says, I see that some of our ROTC brothers and sisters are here, and I'm so glad you're here. With, like, the most honest, authentic smile, he said, I am so glad that you're here. I've heard there's some animosity about me speaking today, but I hope that we can be friends and disagree well. Something that I've learned from liberals and conservatives is that you can think you have all the right answers and still be mean. And if you're mean, no one really wants to listen to you anyway. And maybe one of the most powerful witnesses that we can have is the ability to disagree well and to have civil dialogue. There's not just left and right, but there's also nice and mean. And I want to be with people that are marked by grace and love and can disagree well with people. And in just a few moments, he took out all of the tension in the room, and we all listened to a great sermon. And I remember a specific friend of mine who added to the tension with her Facebook post said, well, I needed a dose of humility. I apologize for being mean. Now, being united in Christ is way more than just being nice to each other, because you can be nice and still be harmful. But what Shane did is point out how easily we tend to destroy each other and have the capacity to actually do much better. In a passage, we have this letter to a church that is completely divided, and not just down the middle, but into many different camps. And Paul writes to them and says, I want you to be united in the same mind and the same purpose. The word united can also mean to restore or to prepare to proper condition. I want you to be united in the same mind and purpose. I want you to be restored to the same mind and purpose. And that's important to me because it implies that unity is more than just being nice. It implies that being united in Christ brings healing and restoration. You see, people were claiming allegiances to leaders of the church instead of to Christ. Some people were saying, I belong to Paul or Apollos, or I belong to Cephas. 
And we don't completely know what theological brand they had or ideas that were tied to those people. And as much as scholars have been trying to figure that out, there's more questions than answers. But it seems that the divisions, the fights that they were having with each other were not just theological, but interpersonal. Similar to our political landscape today, the divisions are not just about policies, they are about people. These debates were literally dividing the church into different sections. So Paul says, has Christ been divided among you? Like, has Christ been chopped up into little pieces so you can have a different piece of him? He even understands that he himself is someone who they have chosen as their leader. But instead of pulling people into his corner, he wants them to focus on Jesus instead. Who was crucified for you, he asked. Whose name were you baptized under? He asked them because he wants them to be united and restored in Christ. Paul says that he's simply there to proclaim the good news of Jesus and that proclamation is what he hopes will unite them. And the rest of the letter, especially the next three chapters, are about how they are to have integrity as a community united in Christ. Now, I've heard a lot about you, First Press Berkeley, from my colleagues, from my family, and from being a fan from afar. And I've noticed that you are a mosh pit of different backgrounds. I've heard there's some of you who lean a little right, some who lean a little left, some who are die-hard Presbyterians and have been on every committee, and some people who have different theological backgrounds or just entering the church into the first time. So my question to you is, what unites you? What makes you a community? Sociologists have been trying to define what community is for a very long time. And they've asked questions like, is it the size of the people, the type of organization, the level of intimacy? So they've wrapped all these questions to try to figure out what community is. And in short, a short definition can be defined by these two questions. What do we share and how do we share it? What do we share and how do we share it? For instance, when I was 15, I was part of a community of friends and strangers that were part of the punk music scene. What we shared in common was the music. And how did we share it? We would go to concerts and sing along. We would go in the mosh pit. If one of us fell on the ground, three people were picking us up. It was a fun community. Community can be absolutely wonderful. Yet, community can also have negative consequences if what the community has in common is hateful or how they share it is destructive. So for instance, think of any hate group. What they have in common is hate, and how they share it is destructive and perhaps even deadly. But what if what you have in common is relatively good or neutral, but how you share it is destructive? In the late 1990s and early 2000s, there were some gangs in Southern California that came out of the suburbs, believe it or not. They were called straight edge gangs. Now, this was a community of people who shared the common belief of abstaining from alcohol and drugs. And now these were mainly teenagers, so you would think this is a decent common belief to have. But how they shared it was destructive. They would literally go to parties where kids were getting wasted and beat them up. That is how they shared their common belief. Community can be harmful if what is shared is hateful and how it's shared is destructive. So going back to the passage, Paul is telling this community, remember what you have in common. What you have in common is not me. What you have in common is not Apollos or Cephas. 
But what you have in common is the grace of God given through Jesus. So let's think about the Christian church in America right now. Are we saying too much, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Apollos? I belong to conservative theology, or I belong to progressive theology? What do we share, and how are we sharing it? Friends, I believe that for us in the Christian faith, what we have in common is that we are all people created in the image of God, and that image has been affirmed, restored, redeemed by the way Jesus lived, died, resurrected, and loved. That's what we share. And the way that we share it is by bearing witness to that good news that we are all made in the image of God. That is what unites us. That is what restores us. That is what heals us. And bearing witness, sharing what we have in common is not always easy, but it's certainly good. It could look like being with somebody who is in their darkest hour and being a light. Bearing witness is standing up for justice when policies and people tell the marginalized that they are not made in the image of God. What unites us, what heals us, what restores us is Christ's love and grace. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend because love unites and heals. Love recognizes that an enemy is made in the image of God and love is what can help an enemy see the image of God in you. How many of you have ever heard of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles? Homeboy Industries is a holistic rehabilitation center in Los Angeles that helps people out of gang life by giving them jobs, tattoo removal, therapy, and so much more. Their motto is jobs, not jails. Now their founder, Father Greg Boyle, one of the most interesting things he does is he puts rival gang members to work together. And he tells the story of this kid named Youngster. Youngster was 13. He would ride his bike around the barrio with a gun right next to him so people knew that he was in charge. And Father Greg Boyle would continue to reach out, say, come to homeboy. And then he would go in and out of juvenile hall. But at age 18, Youngster wanted a change. So he comes to Homeboy Industries. Father Greg says, let's set you up at the silk screening factory. And then Father Greg lines up all the rival gang members in front of him and he says, these are your new colleagues. But Youngster is ready for a change. So he goes and greets every single one of them, looks them in the eye, shakes their hand, except for the very last person. The very last person was a guy named Puppet. Now you could tell that there were some rivals with some of the other people, but the rivalry with Puppet was personal. So they just look at the ground, don't say anything to each other, and Father Greg says, if you two cannot work together, there's somebody else that wants this job. And they say, we can work together, but we won't talk to each other. So they begin to work together. But something about Homeboy's philosophy is that when you work at Homeboy, you're not just working. You're also showered with reminders of your human dignity. You are reminded that you're a child of God, that you are loved. And eventually you believe that for yourself and you begin to believe that for your enemy. Six months later, Puppet took a wrong turn and a different gang jumped him really bad. He ended up in the hospital and was essentially brain dead. Youngster calls Father G and he says, that's messed up what happened to Puppet. Is there anything I can do? 
Can I give him my blood? After some silence and some sniffles, youngster breaks the silence and says to Father G, he wasn't my enemy, he was my friend. Friends, what unites us, what restores us, what heals us is grace and love. Christ, grace and love. When we see the image of God in ourselves and in those around us, that is true unity in Christ. Amen.